This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Ulster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds Episode 2 called Children of the Comet. But first we're going to start with some news. And this is kind of newsy, I think. Um, Alex Kurtzman was a guest on Tignataro's podcast. Um, I don't know if you're like a regular listener to that, Tony, are you? Not really. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's a, I mean, she, I'm a fan of hers in general. I like her stand-up, but uh, there's only so many podcasts. Agreed. It's called Don't Ask Tig, where she tells people not to ask her for advice, but then takes questions and gives advice with a celebrity guest. So she had Alex on, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. I think for people who just want to get a sense of his broad thoughts about Star Trek as a as an entity, this would be a good thing to listen to. Um, he definitely gets the whole idea that I think is important about optimism, not just optimism, like things are going to be okay, but people are going to become better. And I like that he thinks that. Um, and he just talked about how he became a Star Trek fan and how he cast um, Tig, or rather recruited her to be on Star Trek Discovery and his own sort of views on, you know, where we're headed and all that kind of stuff. And and also like the difference for him between Star Wars and Star Trek. So I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting stuff. We have a breakdown on the site. What did he have to say about Trek versus Wars? He really feels like Star Wars is a lot about sort of adventures and battles. And Star Trek is more about um, philosophies and ideas. I mean, I got a sense that yeah, he, he definitely gets how this idea of how it's going to get worse before it gets better, how Star Trek is about a future that grows up out of a tragedy, which is the Third World War, and that it, but it is about this optimistic future that we will, it is going to get better, and that 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 he feels, it seems like he feels like it's important to put that out there. Yes, it, within yes. the show is what I got from my quick listen to that. Yeah, same. I would agree. This was just two people talking, old friends. Tig was not there. Like It wasn't like a new site where they're asking him what show is next and all the kind of stuff we want. So it's worth listening to because this is the guy who is in charge of the five shows we have and the X amount we're going to get in the coming yeah, it's, years. It's good to get a sense of what he what his philosophy is. And also because it's an advice show, they took – they. People send in questions in advance, but someone happened to be a Star Trek fan, which, of course, that's why they would write to Tig. That's one of the reasons. Um, and he gave some they gave some sweet advice that gave some insight into Alex's uh, relationship with his wife, which I thought was very sweet, actually. So, look, if you want to, there's so many mixed feelings about Alex Kurtzman out there. And I would say, like, if you want to try to have a sense of who he is, this was probably the most relaxed interview I've ever it wasn't even an interview. The most relaxed conversation I've heard with him. Now, we also heard from Alex in another format, which is the the Ready Room last week included a package about the return of Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher. We put up an article about this because of something that Alex and Akiva talked about related to once they decided to bring in Wesley. Um, which actually the idea apparently came from Terry Metalis because they needed to do something with Corey, right? So it kind of started with Corey. They said they felt like she had to go somewhere so that the timeline could be restored. 
Right. Like she can't stay in the timeline. Okay, fine. So they're, <laughs> they're like, okay, so why not bring in Wesley as a traveler? You know, that gets her out of the timeline. But then they revealed that there was another show that not only wanted to use Wesley, but the words were they were using him. Right. We're using Wesley. <laughs> they're like, no, we're using Wesley. Yeah. So there was a, a fight over West. Literally, they said it was a kind of a fight between at least two shows over which one got to use Will Wheaton and Wesley. Picard argued that being the successor to the Next Generation show that it is, they should be able to use him regardless, and they did, which I, you know, I would agree with, right? You know, right. I would say anybody can use him, though. Well, certainly now that he's a traveler he right. can go anywhere the question is okay which of the other shows was it and there's a kind of logic that you know we put in the article of well it, it, it couldn't be strange to worlds because akiva didn't have an argument with himself right <laughs> like so it's almost certainly not discovery because wesley unless they removed him from season four because these arguments would have been happening at least a year ago and it's not going to be season five because they hadn't even started working on season five. Yeah, the timing's not right for it to be Discovery. So then it's one of the two animated shows, probably. My bet is Prodigy, just from my talk, you know, from the way Will talked about wanting to pitch Mike, and it sounded like maybe they'll use him in the future, but they, you know, as of a year ago. So this would be for season three, probably, of Lower Decks. Um I don't, you know, but it could be Lower Decks. Yeah, I think it's, I think Lower Decks is a, is a good guess. I mean, I could see him on Prodigy too, just because, um, because it's kids and he can definitely relate to kids on a starship. And we do know that Prodigy is going to get involved in some time travel stuff. One of the things that was interesting about this article that we put up was it just had a huge response on social media. It was all, all over Reddit. It was uh, Will Wheaton himself posted it on Facebook you know, just got tons of... It was news to Will Wheaton. But there's the, the, a polarized response to Wesley in, in season two of uh, Picard that I've seen, you know, I mean, and it's just, it's weird. It's like people are either still stuck in their 1987 Wesley sucks mode, or they right. found it a wonderful, beautiful, emotional moment for the character and weirdly not a lot in between (laughs) (laughs) well that's star trek fans for you i guess yeah i mean the thing is if you think about him on next generation he he was like that annoying kid for a while you know they made him too squeaky clean and too naive but then by by the end of his run when he came back a couple times he wasn't that guy anymore and he was i felt like a fully fleshed out character who'd been through some stuff and you know, had to make and made a big decision, obviously. So I don't, I think the Wesley Crusher sucks crowd wasn't paying attention in the later seasons. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I thought it was a wonderful moment seeing him last week and it was great to bring him back. And, you know, in our review, I feel like we didn't talk about, you know, there were a lot of great moments in the finale. You know, I will go on forever about how bad they handled the time travel. And a lot of the logic and et cetera. <laughs> but there were a lot of great moments in that episode saying goodbye to Q and seven taking the chair. And I, I did like Wesley. It was, it was nice. I felt like it would have been better for season three. And there's something about Will where he still feels a little too much like 
the host of the ready room than Wesley Crusher, but it was still nice. Which I also don't think was just performance based. I think, you know, the writing wasn't, the dialogue wasn't great. You know what? Another thing, it's a little thing, but what was with his outfit? Like, (laughs) I mean, it really looked like he just walked in off the street and I mean, sure it was, he was in LA, he was trying to blend in, but you know, he was beaming in and beaming out and, and why not? Yeah. Like some weirdly textured sweater would have been good. Yeah. I'm not saying I want the classic Wesley sweater. I'm saying something a little more traveler-y, something a little more sci-fi, just a tiny bit of sci-fi in it. I think the traveler also had like weirdly textured clothing. So I think weird texture would be the way to go. Whatever. Um, But (laughs) it just, something to make it look a little bit less like Will Wheaton just wandered into this park and said, hey, how you doing? You know, Wandered off the set of the ready room. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's move on to... Season three um, of Picard. Yeah. You know, we're it's time to just move on to season three. Um, <laughs> only because, you know, the showrunner, Terry Metalis, is very excited about season three. I feel like he's, he's someone's got to hold him back or he's going to tell us everything that's happening. He's excited. He's posting pictures wherever he can, answering fan questions on Twitter. Yeah, he can't wait. So he posted a video of the first day of shooting on season three which is the on the bridge that we've seen, that we saw of the Starfleet ship that was the USS Stargazer. And then someone said something about, oh, is that the Stargazer? And he replied, not the Stargazer. Right. And I think what is now clear, they built a brand new Starfleet ship for season three and then used it a little bit in season two and called it the Stargazer in season two. But... They built that ship and those sets, and there's more sets that we haven't seen. Right. So I think the expectations when people saw the Stargazer was, well, they built it. We're going to see a lot more of it. And you will, but it's not going to be called the Stargazer. Right. Um, But they didn't change the bridge a lot. So it really, you know, because we're used to kind of a redress, and there doesn't seem to be much of a redress. Now, what it is... We have no idea. You know, a lot of fans are already starting to guess. Is it an enterprise ad letter choice? You know, is right. it, you know, you know, is it the ship that Riker was on in season one? That seems reasonable. Like, is it some other famous ship? Um, you know, maybe Riker's old ship or a new version of that because it's a new bridge. Um you know, or, you know, all sorts of other things. So that's, but that, you know, the point is that, yeah, you're right. Terry wants to talk. He does. Someone else was was speculating about Brent Spiner's role in season three and saying, well, so Data's died like a couple times now. So they said, well, so Spiner has to either be Lore or Sung. And Terry said, it's something else entirely. I think he could be weaseling here. I still think it's the season one Sung. It's just not another Sung. Oh, right. The person specifically said another Sung. Right. So there, there's a loophole here. So it's not another Sung, which I think we've had enough Sungs. Um, <laughs> so I think it's the one we know. And from the dialogue in the trailer, he doesn't sound very Data or Android-like. He sounds very Sung-like. So I think it's Altan Inigo Sung. Right. And then someone asked if uh, Laris was returning, 
Because you would think after the way things ended last season. The whole season was really about her. Right. 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 And so his answer was yes, but. And then he just left it at that. So putting this through my Terry to go to ring and knowing what we know, (laughs) I think this is what's happening is that, yes, she will show up in the first episode and then Picard is going to go off on some adventure with all his old pals and I don't think they'll kill her off, but I I think that that's it for her. Like she's going to be left behind to scrape the Borgs off the walls of the Chateau (laughs) while he goes off on his adventure and she's not going to be going with him. If I were him, I'd bring her just because she's really smart. I would too, but I think it, you know, know, they've got a lot of characters to juggle. I get it. Right. I mean, by the way, we I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but, you know, since the last podcast, it has been confirmed that Jerry and Michelle are the only ones who are kind of regulars for season three. Everyone else is gone. Laris, I think, is the exception where she's mostly gone. Right. But not all gone. So my bet is she's in the first episode, the last episode. Yeah, the last one. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's all TNG in between. Yeah. Well, we have to wait a while to find out. And we don't even know when. You know, probably next year, right? Yeah. They've shot it. They're in post-production. Yeah. They could probably put it out this year, but why would you? Because you've got so much other stuff going on this year. Agreed. So Patrick Stewart has been doing some interviews and was very clear in saying that, yes, his castmates are coming back i think he called his his leading colleagues from next generation he said <laughs> every single one of them will be in season three at different times he wouldn't say how many episodes they're in and he said it, it's not just a walk down memory lane we you know he found they found a way to do it where it wouldn't just be rewinding the clock where it would be something new i mean we know that he was reluctant to do the show years ago because of this issue of i just don't want to do next gen again Right. He felt like I I did it, which is true. You know, and it was sold to him as the kind of Logan of Star Trek, if you think about how he came back in Logan as Professor X. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, it's kind of paid off on that because it's been very different. It's been a Picard, you know, more adult, more psychological Picard. You know, it is paid off in that vision. So when they said, OK, now we want to bring in the whole cast it took another round of him saying, I, I don't know if I want to do this. And they had to convince him it isn't going to be a nostalgia fest. Now, which I'm fine with, but we know there's going to be a lot of Starship action because Terry has said so and he's shown us the pictures. So, um, and we know that these characters are in multiple episodes, even though he said they're spread around. I think, you know, they're just, they're not all going to be there in episode one. No, as long as there's one episode where they're all there. I need that. I do need to see them all together at some point. The idea that they don't have, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, we had Wesley Crusher and he didn't talk to Picard. So I just don't. (laughs) I I mean, this is sold as giving them their proper send off. You just can't do that without getting them all together. I would agree. And, And Patrick Stewart said that he said, this is it. You know, we're we're done, and that the way we close season three is perfect. That sounds like a pretty big endorsement. Now, Michelle and Jerry also, in a separate thing, were talking about season three. They did a Twitter Spaces event. 
They didn't want to get into spoilers, but I'm going to read in between the lines. First of all, talking about their relationship, they talk about how they're kind of just totally in love, totally trust each other. They call each other home. But the way it sounded to me, it sounds like they're, they're probably not in the same space, the same place. Yeah, it was a lot of like, wherever they are, they have a strong relationship. <laughs> right. And they can find each other and be home when they're together. Right. So they are. So it's so it's not going to be the two of them back in her Vasquez Rocks cabin. I mean, they are or trailer. <laughs> My bet is seven is going to be in Starfleet and on that ship on the ship, whatever the ship is. Right. Captain question mark. Hard to say. I mean, there was kind of a field commission, but were the, are they going to, you know, is she going to be the captain of this other ship? It's hard to do a field commission to captain from not being in Starfleet. Um, yeah, I mean, my bet a- is she's going to be not the captain um, and someone else will be captain. Maybe maybe someone whose name rhymes with biker. I don't know. So who or knows? Morph. <laughs> That's a good idea. You know, yeah. My, yeah. So but um, actually, that would be a good team up. Yeah. Worf and Seven. But my bet is Rafi's somewhere else, either back at Starfleet Academy or somewhere. I don't think Picard is going to be, like, assigned to the ship. So, Agreed. Yep. Um, and she'll probably be with him somewhere. So this is, this is all guesswork. We have no yeah. proof of any of this. Um, like <laughs> I mean, they also just talked about how uh, Michelle Hurd said every time somebody walked on set, one of the Next Generation crew walked on set, it was like a historic moment. And Jerry Ryan was like, look, I've known all these people for years. So it was just like a great big play date. <laughs> they promise twists and turns more than you are expecting, whatever that means. <laughs> Let's switch to, before we actually review Strange Two Worlds, your final batch of gold carpet interviews are all up on the site. What were some of the highlights of this last bunch? I mean, the big one for me, Ethan Peck, just because he's, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but the struggle that he's having, I want to, especially in light of this week's episode where I thought he was especially terrific, where he just talks about the the pressurized experience of being Spock and how he is finding it very challenging and that he can't really shake it off and that he, that his, you know, castmates are having a lot more fun generally than he is, which is a familiar story. To show how deep he is, he calls it a delicate endeavor, which is quite Spockian. <laughs> I was going to say exactly something Spock would say, but it's that the fact that he feels this way is very much seen on screen. I thought the interview with Bruce Horak. He was very fun. I liked him a lot. And we saw him for the first time in this episode to get a sense because you were asking him about his gruffness, his grumpiness, which we, you know, is very, is kind of Odo vibe. He says it comes from the confidence of knowing what it's a. He con- said he's correct. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, he said, oh, not, he's not, he's not a curmudgeon. He's just correct. And then he laughed. So <laughs> truly embodying his character. But he's saying he's older, he's wiser. You know, and he's confident um, and that's who he is. The other thing which I found fascinating is because he's in Anar, Enar, mm-hmm. and there's very few of them out there. And he has this sense of being an outsider, not just on the ship, but just in general out in space. This idea of he's kind of the other, the outsider. 
this gets to, if you remember the interview I did with Henry, Spock is such a known quantity now that it, it he's no longer really that other outsider character. He's Spock. We all know Spock. Right. Know. He's relatable. He's got a girlfriend. So in a way, even though Spock will be different and have his unique things, which we see a lot of stuff like that in this episode, actually, Hammer, you know, gets to have be the more real outsider that we get on each show because he's, you know, and we're going to be learning new things about the Enar and him. And so. Right. Like it's a rare species to begin with. Right. Like there yeah. aren't a lot of them. So and then I they're definitely I'm going to guess he's the only one in Starfleet. How it's could that not bad. be? Right. It's a good bad. And he looks radically different from everybody else yeah. in a way that, you know, Spock does, but he really does. <laughs> yeah. Any other highlights you want to bring up? Yeah, I was I talked to Sally Rose Gooding and I was happy that she wanted to talk about how she had a lot of choice in her hair and in her uniform. So which definitely was a big shift with discovery in terms of hair um, for the women in particular. Um, and it was really nice to see after so many years of women in wigs and, and Troy's terrible outfits and all kinds of things like that, that now there's an opportunity to just have her natural hair, to keep it short the way she likes it. And to uh, something that um, Rebecca Romaine had brought up earlier that I asked her about was, yeah, she gets to decide, should I do the tunic and the leggings? Should I do the pants? What am I going to do? And I, I really like that shift. I was interested in how Babs talks about this relationship uh, with Mbenga and Pike and how they have this shared history and a trust. There's, there's apparently there's a lot of backstory between these two, much more than even more than we've get a sense of in the first five episodes. So it seems like there's something to explore there between those two. Yeah. And he was definitely very nervous about telling me about anything that was going to happen. I, he didn't come across as nervous. It wasn't that kind of energy. It was just a calm, assured, like, I'm not going to tell you anything. So what was the energy level when you talked to Melissa Navia? Oh, my. She was so, she is so excited. I mean, I was very excited to meet her because I'm really enjoying her character. But she's just thrilled to be on Star Trek. Thrilled to, she was thrilled to be at the event. Thrilled to be getting interviewed. I just think what, it's a great time for her right now she's excited about everything that she's doing she said we're going to learn more about the character in every episode and she gets to do a ton of fun stuff and that she sort of can't believe that they have the built-in excitement for the show before it even premiered she seemed to be she was quite overwhelmed by in a good way she's a great ambassador for the show every time she talks about the show and about her character she's like mary chifo in a way like just so excited to be there one little tidbit, she she reveals how she's a, Ortegas is a combat veteran. So that was an interesting term because the question is combat where, like what war? You know, was it right. probably the, the Klingon war? So maybe she's got some, some war stories. Maybe she's got some scars. Oh, I bet she does. <laughs> and she just talked, she also talked about how much, I said, who... Have you had a lot of scenes with her? Who are you really enjoying a lot of scenes with? And she brought up uh, the Sick Bay crew. She said she's having a lot of fun with them. Because we mainly see her on the bridge, but they will let her. Well, in this episode, it starts off with her off the bridge. I mean, and that's the great thing about the show is they don't lock these people into a location. Although I'm not sure we ever see 
Kyle anywhere besides the transporter room. Kyle's going to be like original (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien. And then he'll get his own comic. (laughs) That's just him in the transporter room. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about episode 102, the second episode of Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet. And why don't you kick us off? So we've seen a bunch of episodes, but this is my favorite of the bunch. There are a few things that I thought were not great moments or great choices, but for the most part, I thought it was a very Star Trek story. It was very fun. The pacing is so well done because it's a fast moving story, but every scene got to breathe, which I liked very much. Really good, strong character stuff and excellent dialogue. So that's my my top level. I feel like we're really getting a sense of who everybody is at the right pace so that it's not all slammed in there and it all seems to evolve pretty naturally. How about you? It's got everything you want in a Star Trek episode, basically. It's got action, adventure, a little humor, mystery, some weird aliens, and then some, some other ambiguity, weird... a little ambiguity. Yeah, it's got lots of science. But what I love about it is there's this kind of glue of the character stories holding it all together so that it's it's I I dare say it's it's more than just a classic Star Trek story in that way. Yeah, like you couldn't you wouldn't swap any of those characters. You wouldn't be like, oh, we could just give those lines to somebody else. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about that. So that this episode Basically, it's it's in her story, right? That's right. She's a genius. I love that they have set her up as as a genius. I mean, they say the prodigy, but <laughs> but she is one smart cookie, and I I love it. And she's she's almost us walking into it because it's her first landing party mission, and it's her it's all, it's all new stuff for her, and so we're almost. She's our proxy in a way because we're seeing all of this through her eyes, through her very, very smart eyes. It's an interesting juxtaposition with the first episode, which is very Pike focused. But both of them are facing a similar situation of do I even want to be in Starfleet anymore? Right. But they're coming at it from totally different points of view. You know, this episode, I mean, there will be more to this, but we certainly see her take a big step on her arc towards not only embracing Starfleet, but, you know. Realizing it's exactly the right place for her to be. Yeah. And it also carries on the Pike arc that we got from the first episode. But what this show is great at is weaving these character arcs into the story. Yes. Into the plot, as opposed to having them be on the side and separate issues. Right. If you take this scene in Pike's quarters where she's humming and it and that's just part of her character, that's who she is. And that's a, a beautiful part of our original Uhura's character also. So it's a nice carryover. He hears her humming. He asks what it is, but it's so they can have a conversation about where she grew up, which he's somewhat familiar with and her background and all of this. So that when it comes in again later, it feels quite natural. And there were other moments within that little dinner party thing you know so you know we that's the thing about this show is they they set you up at the beginning with like five seconds of here we're at an alien planet but we're going to now spend 10 minutes just on their characters but it's okay you know so the 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 plot will can wait um but 
all of these things are going to pay off. So we get elements of, you know, and, and Anson Mount, the way he, you know, he asks her where she's going to be in 10 years, but he's hesitating because now just the notion of thinking 10 years in the future is rattling to him. Right. Well, um, that's the magic number for him, right? 10 years. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. He says that. I think he said it in the previous episode. I think he said something like around it you know i've got about a decade so yeah right he said is um, that a lot like he said oh like i think spock maybe asked if it was imminent and he said oh was it's in 10 years is that soon i don't know <laughs> yeah and um and the only one who really clocked it was number one we you know we even got the you know pike tells the backstory about the you know anasikin comes up with the line of you have to laugh if something is just you know something goes so wrong and then that plays in later as well well although that i'll be honest that didn't work for me because i felt that the two places where it they tried to put it in weren't examples of what they were talking about like well, i didn't i didn't really get it like when uhura says oh i'm making a a joke which she wasn't really making a joke and it wasn't so it wasn't like haha i have to laugh because there was no laughing and then when spock laughs at the end i didn't understand that either i didn't i didn't that thread felt forced to me well, a, t- a tiny quibble. Maybe what they sh- they should have shown how Spock almost died, like how bad things went on the shuttle because it didn't look like things were going badly. Yeah, I mean it was dangerous and you know exciting, but it should have looked a little more perilous. Like maybe the shuttle barely made it out and it was he was leaking oxygen or something. You know, yeah, there was nothing there to indicate that things were actually going that badly. Yeah. It just kind of seemed to go as planned, as crazy as the plan was, perhaps. Right. right. And her joke wasn't like a joke where, with laughter. Still, I think all of that character stuff at the beginning, you know, it was all bookending stuff. You know, and yeah, this is obvious. So, you know, Spock has a conversation with Uhura and he's like, I thought it was pretty stark um, where he goes, well, you know, if you don't really want to be in Starfleet. Give maybe- up your spot. Yeah, get yeah. get out. You know, yeah. there's lots of people who want to be in Starfleet, and because and he mentioned how much it me- it meant to him specifically, also, which I thought was really good. But that kind of bookending works great. I mean, it's a TV show, so yeah, I do expect some things to be to be sewn up neatly like that, and it was very well done. And number one and Pike also had their own bookending with Pike talking about the fate, his fate, and number one introducing this concept, which. I'm wondering where they're going with it because she's basically saying maybe you can avoid your fate, like, right? You know, this this is a big question for maybe seven years from now or however long the show runs. Are they going to figure out a way? They can't figure out a way around it, though. It is his fate, right? He's headed for that chair. We There's know no... it's his fate. So she's wrong, I guess. There really is no way for him to save himself, but and... not wrong for raising the question. No. No. It's a great question. I mean, he's the one he says something like knowing your future takes the takes the fun out of imagining it. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but then we do have a plot and I think what's good about this episode compared to the first episode is I felt episode 1 was so character focused, so setting setupy which it did so well that the plot was almost an afterthought. Yeah, and it was a lot of familiar elements. Yeah, the, the strange new world wasn't actually that strange, which was kind of the joke, I guess, is that right. they, you know they, they were just like us. They even wore ties. 
And, and they were crazy and yelled at each other all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and they pretty much got in and got out and showed their footage from CNN and, you know, and that was it. It was kind of first contact for dummies. And in that it was just <laughs> so oversimplified story, oversimplified solution to because they that wasn't the whole point. And this episode, I thought, had a much more intricate plot. Yeah, you know, it was a classic story, you know, you investigate something, but there's more to it than we thought. No, and we've seen a lot of Star Trek stories where it's like, you know, a co- something like a comet is going to hit a planet. Something's going to happen, some disaster that they're trying to prevent. And I thought they put a nice spin on it. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a Strange New Worlds scenario where there isn't anything familiar to it, you're not going to find it. These are all no. going to be familiar stories because it's it's space there's only so many elements to space and aliens you know but but yes they were putting different spins on it and also like marveling at the majesty of it when they land on that comet and again uhura is our proxy and she's just like i'm standing on a comet i mean it looked fantastic and i felt like you that feeling that she had definitely translated i felt it myself watching it like i'm standing on a comet this is so cool so it, I, compared to where she was like a second before she looked terrified yes <laughs> you know yes she was like um yeah i mean in a way it's it's almost like she fell into being into starfleet because her family history and then she finds herself on the ship and she's been assigned to this thing and she's being thrown into a transporter it's almost like she's just been drafted even though that doesn't make sense because these were all her choices along the way right they were but maybe her being happening to be so brilliant also propelled her you know once people met her they were like oh yeah let's do this with her so that's how she ended up where she was but she the fact that she appreciated it and then she had self-doubt and then she got more confident as she realized as she was told you have something to offer you wouldn't be here and that's a lesson i think a lot of people need in their everyday lives anyway and sam kirk and his mustache were along for the ride i know i have to say that the like one his character who was unconscious for a large chunk of the episode (laughs) anyway and then another mustache joke and he made the mistake of you know they're like i don't think you should get so close and he's like oh i'm gonna go up close and then boom i don't know why he has to be kirk i just don't it's just one of those things they couldn't resist and it i think would have been better to just be another dude yeah it's i'm fine with it it's not adding or removing anything except it's weird to hear kirk yeah i just don't i don't need it and it's it's a little it gets a little smirky and it's not really necessary but i i think a lot of people enjoyed last week's fake out yeah so who am i to rain on their parade it's weird because lon is kind of the second in command i guess i guess she outranks spock she was in charge but it does the show is basically saying well that may be true but it's really about spock and uhura so lon like every once in a while said something you almost like forgot she was there well except all her all her stuff was good like i'm gonna check at the perimeter i'm gonna check here she got the information and set it up for them to be the the more and and made it clear like they're the more poetic ones right like what we know later of spock um in the original series is that he's the guy who would actually be looking at alien lettering and music notes and putting all that stuff together that's something he became quite adept at um sure. and this is this is the very beginning where it's where it's her but he 
because he has to sing with her. He definitely has that musical artistic side. And that's why it's their story. And La'an is like, yeah, that's not my thing at all. (laughs) So it fit. Again, it fit the character. Absolutely. And it was a great bonding moment for Spock and Hura, who we know kind of have a special relationship. We certainly know that Hura has a kind of a thing for Spock a little bit. Yeah, no, she, I mean, for, even if you ignore Kelvin timeline and just look at the original series, she would go up and say swoony things to him. Yeah. <laughs> she got personal with him sometimes in a way that, that other characters did not. We definitely did get our first tease with Chapel yes. flirting with Spock. This is our first Spock and Chapel, and we know that there's that's going to come to light later. That interaction was good, where uh, where she says, now you're just toying with me. And he says, that was not my intention, very seriously. And she says, I've noticed. And my take on Chapel now is, t- it isn't the same character, and I'm just going to roll with it because I like her. So I'm rolling with this Chapel, who is it could not possibly develop into the person that we saw on the original series. So. Okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is this character, and this character is a good and interesting character. Yes. Speaking of Spock and Kirk, again, they're trying to do different things on the show. So Kirk is basically dead because he touched the thing he shouldn't have touched like an idiot. Um, <laughs> and uh, we saw the tricorder has defibrillator mode. Yep. And we've never seen that before, but I thought that was clever. And why wouldn't it? It kind of. Of course it does. Yeah, so far the tech updates all have made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little worried. You know, it's early days. Like, I know, I hope they don't go crazy. Yeah, it's like, and the tricorder can do this crazy thing, you know, and they (laughs) can morph into a transformer. What? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we could actually, it becomes a car and we could drive it around. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, there has to be a limit, but they haven't hit that limit yet, which is good. Right. And so far, again, only episode two, but the choices they've made have been clever. But everything about that alien, you know, the the chamber and the egg, they didn't explain everything. They didn't show us the writing. There were little moments where I wish, you know, they talked about this language. I think they could have given us a little more of what the language was, but it, it was just beautiful. And it was very all very Star Trek where it was a mix of the awe of space and the wonder and the look of it all with a little science and math. And, you know, cause there is a lot of math in music. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and Spark talks about how Vulcans do like music with that, which, which is well, which we know. Yeah. yeah. Because they admire the math of it all and the logic I mean, to it. Honestly, I'm married to a computer programmer. Who's also a musician who talks a lot about math and music and things that sound, you know, he uses the expression sound right to the ear, which I like to take issue with, but <laughs> lots of good discussions. But it's a good point, and it's true, and it's scientific and poetic. So while that's all happening, Pike has got his own situation with his own weird aliens going on. I like those weirdo 
aliens the, the space monks the the shepherds, the shepherds. Well, we only saw i wanted to see more she- did we see any in the background i think no, we just I, see the one guy i think we just saw that one he filled up the whole screen this is um, when they whenever a start you know, we see this star trek shows and i kind of it you know there's really no way around it's like well do we build a set for the guy now it's like let's just use extreme close-up on right on the guy and then like we- he's sitting in front of his <laughs> laptop yeah, so they have a Zoom call with the captain of right. this, but we have to assume it's a huge ship that there's thousands of these space monks on on this ship. Who've again, in a recurring theme across the shows, dedicated their lives to a singular purpose, which yeah. seems to be now a thing. <laughs> a very strange purpose, which is to follow... Um, they're watchers. They're basically watchers yeah. of the comet. It wasn't clear if like that his job was just this comet, but his species takes it upon themselves to watch multiple versions of this guy that this is one of many of these things that look like comets but aren't comets right it wasn't clear like did they did the shepherds build the structure or no they because they seem to be like we don't know why this is our job but it's our job seemed to be (laughs) their view indeed Right, he said something. Yeah, he said like we don't remember when it came to our people, but we took on the mantle, which I thought was an interesting choice. I personally am more interested in self determination, but okay. But I liked how he talked. He talked weird yes. sci fi, florid, yes, different. Because you know now this is going to be a quibble. Um, every once in a while, and it's hap- it happens a, a good amount of times where it's starting to be a little of a thing. Is some of the, our characters are just talking a little too casual, a little too contemporary. Yes. There was even a weird moment where Pike's like, hey, can't we talk this thing through? Like, because he's usually like normal Captain Eve, but he like sometimes switches. I mean, he always has his aw shucks charm, but sometimes he turns it up to 11 and it just gets a little. Yeah, to like loungy Pike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like a bit of flirred over the top sci-fi dialogue in my Star Trek for sure. Me too. And I also I would I could do without some of the contemporary references, which I'm gonna be honest, every Star Trek show is done. Like when they go, it's like a long distance phone call. And I'd be like, why do you know what that is? Yeah, like put your foot and on the gas. Put your foot this. on the gas. And I'm like, that wouldn't be like a common there would be some new equivalent of that same expression that would make more sense. But it is again, something that they've just always done on Star Trek. And even as a little kid, I was like, I don't think that's the right expression. I mean, the hilarious one in the original series is still dipping little girls, curls and ink wells that Kirk says that. And the fact that it's like that, that show was in the 1960s. So they were well past that phase anyway. But this was another example where I'm like, why are they, I don't know why that would be the, the analogy that they would choose. The exchange was fun. Another part of this solution, of course, you know, Ortegas is kind of the fun person on the bridge, obviously. And so she gets to say some of these fun sayings. But we also learn a little bit more about her and about her skill set. And Pike kind of goads her because she's boastful about her maneuvering. And so they relied on her to help get them away from the shepherds. That's all great. And she had her own maneuvers, right? Programmed. Right. In. Named after herself. Her own ones <laughs> right. that she made up. Right. Because Pike had, you know, you know, a- April Omega 7 or whatever it was. Right. Um, she had Ortegas. 
<laughs> which he clocked, which I liked. But I don't know. I don't know. This may I just know, be me. I think I know where you're going to go with this. But, so go for it because I think but, I agree. This is the problem whenever you talk about a maneuver on the Enterprise is it's a big ship. And the way they showed it kind of spiraling and it did a loop and stuff like that, it just felt very Star Wars, very fighter jetty. And it's certainly not the classic Space Lake, the classic Horatio Hornblower naval exchange, which has been the standard of Star Trek for all of time. And, you know, even Discovery has kind of stuck with that mostly. Right. Um, although not entirely. It's like you want Ortegas to be a hero and to do heroic things and you want to show it. I guess I just, I don't know. It just doesn't, because the it visual effects are amazing, but right. it just felt like the ship was too maneuverable. Right. It's still a big ship. But this is all based on my preconceived notions. The question is, if you'd never seen an episode of Star Trek and you didn't have this kind of history in your brain of how ships moved does it look right or wrong to have a ship that's supposed to be massive and then it would depend on your background and how much you think about those things yeah honestly i mean i also wonder i always think well if someone's firing at you then they've targeted you so you shouldn't really be able to dodge it 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 should right they're not firing at the spot they're firing at you so if you move then you're still the target yeah i mean there's no way a faster than light because phasers are faster than light and they're close enough where even lasers would, you just can't. They shouldn't mi- miss. You can't miss. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was dodging, my... dodging phaser fire should be impossible. That was it, my big issue as I was watching it was I torpedoes is a different missing. story. Although they move pretty darn fast um, that uh, it should be pretty hard to. And again, they lock on a target, not a section of space. Yes. I mean, this is, it's Nerdy. it's really hard <laughs> to show space combat correctly with the technology. Because, uh, you know, if you look at a show like The Expanse, which does a very good job of it, it's, it's, space combat is quite lethal. And it's kind of easy to destroy another ship. You just punch a hole in it and um, everyone flies out of the hole. And they do it at incredible distances. That's the other thing of how space battles would really work is they would never get this close to each other. I mean, you look but at they... fighter jets today and modern warfare, things don't get that close to each other. But but it's this not is as storytelling. Exciting. I mean, we've always, I think, made allowances for that kind of thing because we want fun storytelling. So we have to accept certain. Right. Uh, so you, you essentially maybe don't make sense. You essentially kind of recast it as a World War Two battle essentially with ships so although even in world war ii the ships didn't get that close to each other but they all kind of just shoot at each other in that way um anyway this is a i'm surprised you're with me on my little tangent here no i'm totally listen i watch a lot of star trek man (laughs) (laughs) i've been watching it since i was a wee thing so yes i'm not you know i'm not a big ships person. I love me some Enterprise, and I've watched a lot of space battles. <laughs> but what I did love about all of this was because, of course, all of the these maneuvers and stuff was to for Pike to go. You know, I mean, he is himself, but you can't help but think of Kirk, where he is bl- basically bluffing. Yep, and um, taking a big gamble, and it's all a distraction, right? 
so he you know says we surrender you know you're not going to shoot at us because we'll blow up next to your precious comet so and you and us we'll all go (laughs) yeah you know i thought that was great yeah you know i loved that it was a clever solution and i also liked even though i don't i'm i'm not I felt that they didn't do mystery box, even though we knew there was a plan and we didn't know what it was with Spock. That was fine. Yeah. I mean, there was the beat where it was obvious because Spock goes, maybe there's a way to move the comet without, maybe it could move itself. And then there's a moment where obviously they planned something and they didn't let us see it. So we knew that there was something going on. Right. And he's not, they do a, a quick shot of his station where he's not there. Which is, of um, course, reminiscent of other times Spock wasn't at his station. <laughs> I don't want to think about <laughs> it. But um, <laughs> but that was I thought that was a nice little quick moment, like a blink and you miss it, but worth catching moment. Yeah. So he's out in the shuttle. He turns the shuttle into a toaster. And it's didn't glowing. you like I liked the controls on the shuttle. Like I'm so over the virtual controls of everything. And I really like the hands on the big slidey thing. And, yeah, you know, like I enjoy all of that tech much more than I enjoy the whoop, 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 flipping stuff around. But this was, again, another it's it, even though it was like all excitement and and flying and dodging space rocks. And of course, you know, if we were to get technical, if you flew next to a comet, it wouldn't look like that there'd be right. tiny, tiny pieces of dust but this star trek is not the first show to you know an asteroid belts the the distance between asteroids and asteroid belts is like hundreds thousands of miles not 10 feet and right if they were that close to each other they would pulverize each other into dust which is what right. happens anyway doesn't matter <laughs> but it's fun and exciting but there was some real science here. This whole concept of sublimation is a real thing. You get close to the thing, it melts a thing, it would jet off gases and it would sublimate and and it would move it. You know, that is real science at in action. And it, you know, but the way they shot it was like overly dramatic or, you know, there probably was a better way for him to do the sublimation than the action scene they showed us. Well, as we were saying, it was overly dramatic and underly dramatic at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But still fun. Yeah, it was fun. But the best part about it, I thought, was how it was a loophole, which is very Picard, right? Because he's like, we didn't touch it. See? We never right. touched the guy. No, no he never. Re- yeah. It's unclear whether the space monks figured out what they did. What do you think? Like, oh, did the I... space monks ever spot? I didn't think Spock? they did. Because they okay. would have been pissed. So, well, yeah, they probably would have been. I think they would have been pissed and would have seen it as a violation anyway. Although they could, you know, again, they had the loophole. They did but have the I loophole. Don't, but I don't think that they did. But, of course, they were proven right, which is kind of the, the head scratcher of this whole episode. Well, it's, you know, our predestination paradox that we've been talking about that I generally don't like. But... I liked that it was kind of ambiguous. I mean, look, you could easily, there could be some time travel thing and, you know, like some, like the future has been seen versus. Uh, I, I think it's more precognition where this, there is something inside this asteroid or this, I'm sorry, this comet, some super intelligence, if you want to get all sci-fi about it, probably embedded in there that likes to sing. Yeah. And. 
it's so incredibly super intelligent that it can predict the future in, in an amazing degree, at least, you know, and it means no harm. It's whole plan the whole time was to just drop off some ice on this planet and uh, give them some rain. Yeah. But Spock had to be there to make it happen. It all worked out nicely. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think they because once say, you know, is is this is this science versus faith? I think it's more a question of fate versus choice. And I don't think they're getting into the concept of faith here as much as they're getting into how there's there's mysteries beyond which we can understand. Yes. And that's why I thought there was a good telling line where the shepherd guy um, says something about how you won't judge I forget the exact line, but something about like you won't, oh, maybe you won't be so quick to judge the faith of others, which right. is funny because Pike right away was like, oh, these people are crazy. Um, <laughs> and so, and I do think these are interesting topics for discussion. They're raising questions and not answering them. I don't think they were saying, see, we believe in this godlike thing and it's true. That wasn't what they were saying. But what yeah. they were saying was what you just said, there's, there's more than we might be aware of or be ready to accept you know you put all that together and and then that teaches lessons for our characters so it's like a fun story with all of these layers on it but then they add this fun stuff about our characters um where mainly uhura and pike go further down their important season-long arcs and we learn you know and, and spock actually has some growth as well I thought it was a great episode for Spock, a really strong episode for Spock. And he gets a lot of great lines. I mean, he gets the best lines. Everyone obviously likes writing for Spock. Um, my favorite line, of course, is I am familiar with Yahtzee, Lieutenant, but I am reading a dangerous buildup of energy. Um, as someone who used to play a lot of Yahtzee, I didn't really get the Yahtzee reference. Um, it, it's however, just that, that Spock always like whenever you say something to Spock, like Spock, are you familiar with? It's like, of course, I know everything. I know, right. I know Yahtzee. I know about the United States. My my favorite line of his was, "I find the best way to diffuse tension is to apply rigorous logic." <laughs> very Spock. <laughs> Which was very Spock. Or when she says, "Too honest," she says, "I'm a Vulcan. We are too honest by nature." Like very excellent dialogue for him delivered perfectly like ethan peck don't worry you're doing great <laughs> yeah it's a great combination of the writers and him delivering great spock so I'm, yeah and more much more so i think than he was on discovery and even though we don't get a lot of number one we i think the number one pike relationship is great and she, you know she's very important to this episode i i mean it what Obviously, she probably should have been the one. I don't know to beam down. Yeah, I'm confused about her role on the ship specifically, and I feel like we're not getting enough of her. I mean, it is it because it's always been the joke of you shouldn't send either the captain or the first officer on landing parties because why would you? Right? They, they need to stay on the ship. To well, do except you do things. need a senior level person in your landing party, so. <laughs> Depending you can on make the, an know, argument a, for the first officer. You can make a really good argument for it. Like, that's their job. I get it. So I guess we'll see in future episodes. And I think, you know, because we have seen at least three more. Um, she does go on some landing parties. 
I did notice in this episode, they used landing party, which is the TOS term, but they also use away team at least once, which is the TNG term. Right. We're so used to both of them now. I'm like, all right, whatever you want to call it, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's so not important. It's just more curiosity than anything. But we are seeing elements of TNG, you know, the mention of the Nausicans. We're going to see more... I mean, the system itself, right, came from a Next Gen episode, which is the Persephone 5 was from a TNG episode. We didn't know Persephone 3 also had people on it. There was no mention in this episode of the fact that Persephone 5 is right over there and there's people there. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, all of this goes back to sort of what you were saying before is there are two ways to look at these episodes. And one way is, you know, we're star trek fans who know the shows backwards and forwards and so we're viewing this through those eyes and then you also do want to ask yourself does it work if you've never seen star trek before because that this show has the best chance of any of them i think to be that entry point for sure and i think for them it it probably works great and i would say most of the time when i have an issue not all the time but most of the time it is because i know something we've kind of said it all it's it's it was good it was funny it was you know thought-provoking heartfelt lots of action you know it really had a everything you could want yeah i would agree i thought yeah it was just a beautiful combination of everything and i thought there were there were big moments like when she tells her back when uhura tells her backstory to pike and he says he calls it an impressive and heartbreaking story and she goes that's me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was. I mean, it, it, it's nothing like, you know, having your family devoured by the Gorn, but her parents did die in a, an accident with her, and, brother. And her brother. And that was that was tragic, too. Everybody's so. got a tragic backstory or a tragic future. <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't learned about Ortegas. You know, I hope I'm hoping Ortegas doesn't have, you know, but she's she's a war veteran. So there's probably something back there. But hopefully her childhood was pleasant. <laughs> There was a little thing that probably means nothing, but I always freeze frame whenever they show a map, of course, because I love maps. And this system, the way they showed it, they were very much on the frontier. And really, the only thing past them were the Tholians. And it just made me wonder, like, was this a, a tiny hint that there's Tholians in our future? I am I mean, I am nervously hoping that they will resist as much of that stuff as they can strange new worlds i just want to keep reiterating that this is a strange new asterisk world because this is a system that we've heard of before we just didn't know about the third planet um, right but we also didn't really you know spend time with aliens we'd already met yeah and i thought the aliens on the dry barren planet looked they looked good they looked sort of you know very star trek movie-ish yeah and they didn't see the ship I was like, you know, praying they never saw the ship. Which they didn't. Which they did. They saw the comet. They've probably built a whole religion around the comet as they one would after it transformed their lives and gave them the rain and basically made this planet a nice place to visit someday. And they enjoyed pointing at it dramatically. (laughs) So that counts for something. There was one weird, unrelated to the planet, a weird sciencey moment that they dropped where right before they, they beam onto the comet or maybe right after it laon says oh the gravity is a fraction of earth's normal and then they get there and it 
didn't that didn't play into anything and i was a little disappointed yeah they didn't do any bounding around they also um there was like this big warning before they went down of they you know to inject it you you're only going to survive 2 hours right. until you start cooking with radiation and which sets up a ticking clock but the clock kind of never ticked no one ever brought that up again of like oh those guys are about to be melted by cosmic rays right um and in fact you can take off your helmets yeah it's nice yeah. in there it's good <laughs> it was more an excuse to have chapel inject spock that was really the whole point that, that was the whole point of that right <laughs> right and even like kirk being unconscious and just like they did they he's he's okay we've we've got he's stabilized so that ticking clock also wasn't so ticky. But small things. Like overall, so it was a rollicking, enjoyable episode. They did show this um, at the big premiere in New York also. So I got to see this one on the big screen as well. In fact, they rolled the first one right into the second one. And I think some people didn't even know what was happening. Because they didn't they thought, show the credits from the first one? Right. No credits, just boom, the second one. <laughs> so like as soon as the when they got past the the teaser and the opening theme started people got up and ran to the bathroom and came back because they just they didn't know that was going to happen so but i think I, I think it's a terrific episode and if this was an indicator of how everything's going to go then i'm super happy you say it's your favorite it's actually not my my favorite is number four which actually i don't think well, well let's we'll get into that later yeah but i, I mean it is a good example of the show even though it is different than the other three that we're about to see which is really what they're going for which is this kind of variety pack of different yes. tones different styles that kind of right thing. which is fun and which is in keeping with a lot of the star treks that we love very much yeah all right so i think we should move on to our bits of the week all right why don't you start mine is the last week we right before the show premiered the uh, Roddenberry foundation announced a new thing they're working on which is part of this thing called the roddenberry archive so this is all funded by rod roddenberry's foundation and what they're doing is they are creating a virtual version of the uss the original uss enterprise and actually they're creating multiple virtual versions and they've brought in lots of star trek vets like drexler and mike akuda and denise akuda they're just building the interior and exterior of the USS Enterprise in all of its glory, fully digital um, as a way, a place you can explore. And right before Strange New Worlds premiered, they showed that they've recreated the sets on the inside from the cage version of the Enterprise. They even had a an actress come in to get scanned as Colt. And they brought in the director, who's still alive, amazingly of the cage to work with them. And it's just this amazing project that's going to probably be going on for years, but it's still not clear when or how people can experience this, but it's going to be some kind of virtual reality experience. Right. That was my question was how can I experience this? You, you cannot as no. of now. Um, right. you, you can watch the videos of it and see the pictures of it, but it's to not the same eventually and i don't i i don't think they're even going to be charging for this i'm not sure what because this isn't like some product they want to build this is seems to be more uh, you know something that rod and the roddenberry foundation are doing for posterity as it were right anyway 
check out the article and the video. It kind of, it'll explain it better than I'm doing, but it just it looks amazing. Cool. So mine is very self-serving. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. I'm just going to put that out there right now. <laughs> but as many of you know, I'm always very greedy for feedback. And I look on our page and I look on the Apple review thing. And we got a very lovely review, actually a wonderful review um, that I had posted on my Twitter feed because I was excited and it made me feel good. And then um, Aaron Welke, the showrunner of Prodigy, which you also all know I adore, replied to that and said about our podcast, it feels like I'm listening to a great NPR chat and interview show about Star Trek. I love it, which had me pretty much doing cartwheels for the rest of the evening. So everyone say hi to Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) I guess this means we maybe it's because we only say good things about his show. No, he (laughs) said, I assume it's more than that. (laughs) One would hope we love prodigy, but he's just a Star Trek nerd. Yeah, I love, I mean, that just, it just made me so, first of all, I'm happy when anybody tells me they've been listening. It makes me very happy because we put a lot of work into this. So, but someone whose work we appreciate so much, that just adds an extra element. And that they're also not dismissing us being like, you two do not know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's very exciting. So um, we need to get all of the showrunners uh, listening and coming on the pod and coming. Yeah. My next, I wanted to say, so Aaron, are you, can we book you? (laughs) So hopefully we will. So comparing us to NPR, does that mean we need tote bags? It might. (laughs) So get on that, Tony. I will. It's on the top of my list. Okay. That's (laughs) it for episode two of strange new worlds. And for episode, what are we? 91? 91 of all access star trek. So see you next Friday. See you next week.